Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Show Roundtable Show, episode 366. We have this round table and you can join us live on YouTube or Facebook, whatever one I choose on the particular day. We're on Facebook at the present moment at 8.30 Pacific Standard Time every Friday. And I've got a very relaxed and interesting panel. I, I think it's going to be an interesting show. First of all, from the Caribbean of Maine, we've got Chris Badgett from Nifter LMS. Would you like to... Oh, God. Would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers, please? Yep. I'm Chris Badgett from Lifter LMS, and I serve course creators with knowledge and software. You can find me at LifterLMS.com. I'm also working on growing my personal YouTube channel. So see if you can find me on YouTube. And you, you're going to have to watch the video. Um, to say that Chris is relaxed looking is a slight understatement. <laughs> Um, oh, we've got another. Oh, we, we got, got a Norseman. And, oh, we got a Norseman. I, I interrupt <laughs> the podcast for my. Let's hope he's in a habit as well. Uh, um, there we go. Right. And we've got Spencer. Spencer, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Sure. Hey, good morning. It's Spencer Foreman from WPLaunchify.com. And we help people who are building profitable WordPress membership sites with marketing automation. And we've got Adam. From the Kitchen Sink Podcast, Adam, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Sure. I'm also, I also go by uh, Thomas Levy. I do all the code for Lifter. No, wait, that's on me. Um, I'm Adam Silver. I own and operate Concierge WP, a small little agency here outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. Also have a podcast over at Kitchen Sink WP. Uh, everything WordPress but the Kitchen Sink. That's Stuff great. like that. And it's a great podcast, folks. Thank you. Go and listen to it, folks. Um, and we've got my friend, John Locke. Would you like to introduce yourself, John? Yeah, definitely. My name's John Locke, as you stated. Uh, I run a, a small uh, SEO uh, outfit for manufacturing industrial firms, Lockdown Design and SEO. And we got the notorious I, you, we, anybody. We got the notorious Morton with us. Would you like to introduce yourself, Morton? Hi, I'm Morton. <sighs> it's Morton. <laughs> <laughs> of, Hi. of LinkedIn Learning, folks. Was it E, we, I, you, me? I, I, I could never know nowadays. All right, let's, uh, um, I'm sorry. Back um, in the booth. I don't know, what was that? Adam's trying to show me something. That's from Morton. I got that as a gift from him. Oh, great. There you go. Oh, yeah. Now everyone can screen grab your <laughs> QR code. Oh, oh, if they well. actually, if people still, you know, it's okay. <clears throat> right, let's get on with the stories, folks. Um, First of all, um, it was a great interview, so I don't normally choose podcasts but, um, as topics, but it was a great interview with Morton, and um, um, it was on WP Weekly, Introduction to WordPress Government Project. So, um, let's start off with Morton. How did you think the interview no. went? No? I it for someone else. Oh, did right, anyone actually listen to all 83 minutes of that? Yeah, well, I did actually. I did. Actually. I was a last. I was a last add to this show, this episode. I didn't get to listen to everything. I mean, like that was the one thing I didn't have time to get to. I read everything else, but yeah. All right. Well, let's try, sure. Chris. This, this, sure. this, this wake up, Chris. What did you think of the interview, Chris? 
I actually haven't gotten to it yet, but I just want to say that I am really excited about the governance project. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, there's like an inten- intentional approach to leadership and how we lead and how we manage. Because in business, oftentimes those things just kind of evolve organically without taking a step back to look at them and analyze them. So I'm, I'm really glad that that's happening, especially as WordPress has grown to be so massive. Um, power structures as an open source project should be more distributed. So I'm just excited for the project. Uh, help us out, Spencer. Did you manage to listen to any of it? I mean, I, I said last week my undying devotion to what Morton and Rachel are doing. So I'm 100% behind it. And I think <laughs> I always... No, <laughs> I, I listened to it, but I, that's not the point. The point is, like, I watched it when you first came out, and I right. also watched the whole... the 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 commenting off the tavern and the other stuff. So I love a street fight and Morton as with Rachel, especially Morton is the guy to take it on. So I'm a hundred percent behind it. And if you need anybody, you know, with like that movie, uh, uh, anchorman where they all, the anchorman all get in the street fight, you know, the weathermen and everything. If you need a guy with a pickaxe or some kind of ball and chain behind you, I'm there because I think it's a valid, the uh, necessary thing. Uh, John, um, hopefully you might have listened to it. Um, but first of all, I thought John James Joby, JJJ. Triple J. Triple J. And I'm trying to, he's not answering my Twitters. Jay, please come on the weekly show. Uh, um, I thought he had some really good points to some of Morton's points. And I thought his contribution to the discussion made it really um, interesting in a way. What did you think, John? Sadly, I did not listen to. <laughs> This. But hey, you know what? Morton's my homie, and uh, what, whatever he wants to do, man, count me in. I'll throw down for Morton. <coughs> right, let's, let's ask Morton, because I did listen to it, Morton. Um, what did you think, then? What um, did we get out of it? I, I, thought, I thought JJ's contribution to it, he, he is the, um, I think he's a great guy and he's the voice of reason. So, so are you. Uh, um, um, and I thought between the two of you, you had a very constructive conversation um, that laid out some points. I think your main point about the kind of neo-libertarian setup that we have at the present time um, where those that are seen to contribute the most in time um, then build a voice is a, a total delusion and actually leads to very archety- uh, hierarchical structure and, and you already which you've seen so clearly in the past year so I think your point which um, which was one of the main points I got from the conversation, um, was clearly stated in it. That's good. I mean, you know, it's funny because I'm the guy that never listens to or reads anything before I come on this podcast. <laughs> it was bound to happen. <laughs> this is uh, what we call Maybe it, back. karma. <laughs> but, uh, I, had a, I had a question <coughs> you, by the way, Martin, from last yeah. week that didn't get answered. It was about uh, Juice from Yoast being the marketing lead or whatever you want to call it. And my question was, you might know, why is it that Automatic doesn't go out and just pay people a defined actual salary to be in an actual position? And instead there's the shenanigans that somebody has to be 
fighting between time with their kids and time with their company to go take on a role where they trip over their own shoes and stuff like they did there about announcing it without telling the existing marketing lead that somebody else has taken it over. Why don't they just come up with like salaried positions for people? I mean, what's the issue there? They have plenty of money. Poor old Bridget. There you go. Yeah. Maybe that comes later, Spencer. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just saying like this whole governance project and the whole idea of which direction Gutenberg goes and the accessibility, all of this seems to be a matter of like, hello, it's not like we just invented how corporations run. I mean, run it like a company. Okay. I I can't speak on behalf of Automatic or Matt or anything like that because I'm not. I'm neither, right? Uh, I can just observe from the outside. Um, f- f- based on what I've seen up until this point, so 10 plus years of the community and all that stuff, um, I think that there is a very strong belief among a lot of people that are in decision-making positions primarily one person, um, that WordPress, the open source project, should be run by and of volunteers only. Um, And that there are no paid positions in WordPress because that goes against the idea of it being run by volunteers only in this, based on this notion that if it's run by volunteers, then there's no then you can't argue that anyone is acting like on the corporate, whatever, right? The problem, of course, with that is a majority of the key developers that are involved in the WordPress project, including most, most of the core committers and everyone, are paid. They're just paid by companies. And then the company is volunteering its time into the project. And the majority of those contributors are paid by Automatic, the company Matt owns, right? And there is this really weird tension right now between... Um, between a person volunteering their time, as in like a self-employed person or someone like yours who owns a company, volunteering their time and literally taking time away from their company to do the work. And for someone who works for a company, say Automatic or someone else, who's paid full-time specifically to do work on the platform, right? And it's an interesting, like you can more clearly see the distinction if you think about someone like Felix Arntz, Felix Arntz, right, who has been hired by Google, who, from what I understand, has been hired by Google to full-time work on WordPress core, right? So for anyone who looks at that, they'll, if that's the case, I'm like, I think that's what's happening, but I'm not entirely sure. But let's assume for the moment that that's the case. Let's say Google hires a developer to work full-time on core. People would then say, well, that's Google trying to exert influence on WordPress core. And that's problematic, possibly. But when Automatic does it, people are saying, well, that's just WordPress, right? And there has to be an understanding among a lot of people, including the people at the very top, that when you work for a company, you are not a volunteer. Like That is a very weird distinction, but it is a distinction. If you're paid to do this full time, you are not the same type of contributor as someone who truly is taking time out of their day to work on it. The difference being, if you're paid full time to work on it, you're not losing money by contributing to the project. Whereas if you are taking time out of your day, like Yoast is, you are, in fact, losing money by taking part of the project. And then you can say, well, you know, overall, it's growing the project and you end up benefiting. Sure. But it is time you would otherwise have spent actually doing work that earned you money. And Bridget Willard posted a thing yesterday that broke down how much money 
she could have earned doing the same work she did for WordPress if she had done it for a client, just to show that this is actually money. And there, there needs to be a um, larger conversation within the community around this idea of uh, some form of remuneration for extremely labor-intensive work being done in the community, like leadership roles. Now, whether or not that remuneration is cash, actual money, is still an open question. Like, I, I, I've been joking around this for a couple of years, but I'm starting to think that it's actually a real thing that we should be doing. There's no reason why WordPress can't have an internal economy. I, because Meaning, the thing you're describing is a hypocrisy, not of your comment, but of... Oh, yeah. No, it's, 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 no it's I don't think... It and walks and looks like a duck. It's a duck. And we're I at don't the point think, where... I don't think it's a hypocrisy. I think it is a fundamental misunderstanding of what is happening in the community. So, like, it's, it's that thing where, like, if you wear a hat for long enough, it, it shapes your head kind of thing. That if you're... Uh, I think that there are certain people in the project who truly do not see a distinction between people they pay to contribute to the project and any random person contributing to the project. And because they don't see that distinction, they make a moral judgment on those who don't contribute enough to the project because they're like, well, my people contribute enough to the project. They contribute 100% of their time to the project. Why can't you do the same, right? And they're, they're like in the conversations that are happening around this, you keep seeing that sentiment floating. And then when I see it, I'm like, you're you're disconnected from the reality of the situation, likely because you've been working on this for so long that you're not seeing there is an actual distinctive difference between these two things. And that's something the community as a whole needs to then address and figure out. Because if the people at the top can't figure that out and or are locked in a way of thinking about the project that forces them to, to see the world that way, then the rest of the project needs to accept that those people are stuck and then just move on beyond them, right? And that could be mean something like introducing an economy internally in the WordPress project with or without the support of the top level. And then saying like, we're actually going to create some sort of remuneration system for WordPress so that contribution actually has meaningful outcomes for people beyond just feeling good. Yeah, like a credit bounty. So what did you, what do you think, Adam? Well, I, I heard through the WordPress grapevine, if you will, that uh, Yoast, I'm not sure of the pronunciation, was getting Yoast was getting some type of stipend or some type of income from his new role. From who? I don't know. See, that's the problem. It's like it, it, let's say let's say that's true. Let's say someone, right? Anyone pays. Okay. WordPress um, has no money. WordPress, WordPress right, right, right. Has no money. Correct. Correct. The WordPress Foundation has some money that is being used for like charitable whatever. Right. That's the money. All the other money within the WordPress community, technically speaking, is locked in like payments of WordCamps or whatever. Right? right, right. So if someone is paying anyone right now, it is not WordPress, it's some corporation, right? Right. So it could be automatic. donations or whatever. Right. And that's fine. But then that needs to be transparent and it needs to be done in such a way that it goes to everyone, right? Because like there's a difference between Josefa mm-hmm. and Yoast. In that Josefa works for Matt and Yoast works for himself, mm-hmm. right? So for Yoast, this means stepping down as CEO, shunting that responsibility onto someone else, right? And that's that's fantastic, and they have you know they're able to do that and everything, and that tell, that talks a lot about 
the success that that company has had. But it mm-hmm. also shows that that position can't really be taken by anyone who can't literally go, I don't need to do work anymore. I can do this instead, right? Which is an unbelievably privileged position to be in. Absolutely. Completely unrealistic and not something we can expect from anyone, right? So like during the Gutenberg project, people were asking how come these people are the leads of the Gutenberg project? The reality is the leads of the Gutenberg project were the ones that were being paid mm-hmm. to do it. Right. And, and uh, for all the, for all the, ideological fantasticness of the five for the future idea. (laughs) The reality is I have five for the future. Like my company pays me to spend one day a week to work on the WordPress project. That's not enough time to do any of that stuff. This is my five for the future right now, this podcast. Yeah, but it's like, that's not enough time. I know, right. To do anything meaningful, right? No, no, no. What I mean is you can't lead something like Gutenberg with 5% of your time. Absolutely, yeah. That's just crazy talk, right? But then if we don't have that, then either only the people who are paid by corporations to run will be able to do the work and their work will be colored by whatever corporation they're being paid to do or we have to figure out some other way of doing it, which is why we should introduce something like WapuCoin. We had this show like (laughs) three, four months ago. Remember about the one with the independent contractors? This whole thing really is surrounded by that discussion, which is... Automatic is the profit center, the one with the loan. They're the ones that are realistically running this whole show. You can call it what you want, but I think your metaphor was good. You know, if you look in the mirror long enough, you'll think you're a movie star. And they think everything is all granola and open source and dedicating. But then there's the, what I refer to as the hypocrisy. The hypocrisy is the look down the end of your nose at, I know you could be spending more time on supporting your free plugins in the shit pository, but you're not. And it's like, you're getting $150,000 as a developer by automatic. So, you know. And this, your, is not a, this is not a new know. conversation in the community either because I've been having this argument for years about um, uh, funding speakers for WordCamps. Mm-hmm. Uh, even just, you know, paying or even paying part of their travel expenses and hotel, or hotel room or something, yeah. And uh, last, the end of last year, um, uh, Vitaly Friedman, the guy who runs Smashing Magazine and Smashing Conf, wrote this excellent article um, about why Smashing Conf pays their speakers and why that is a requirement, which comes on top of articles written years ago about how a lot of professional speakers in our community are starting to demand payment, uh, even, even if that means they get payment and they just donate it back to the community, just to show that this is actual beyond just contribution. Speaking at conferences is a really labor-intensive thing and often costs a lot of money. And by not paying people, you are excluding a large number of the voices within the community who can't afford to take time off to make a talk, to can't afford to take time off to go to a conference and then actually do the talk, right? And every time we have that conversation, we get these weird sidetracks happening where people are saying, well, if we pay... Speakers, why aren't we paying the volunteers and the organizers? Or they say, um, if we start paying speakers, then we get the professional speaker circuit where people are just earning money instead of actually doing any quality work. All of these arguments are red herrings that kind of, well, the, the professional speaker circuit is not a problem because you can just have lists of people who shouldn't be allowed to speak at every damn conference. And we already have that problem anyway because there's people who speak at every single WordCamp, so whatever. But the not paying organizers one is like, that's not an argument against paying speakers. That's an argument against stop 
buying so much crap to give audiences and instead spend your sponsorship money on actually paying the people who do the work, right? But then once you pay people to do the work, you have changed the, this idea that the community has that this is all volunteer-driven, which then are, roots into this ridiculous notion that volunteerism automatically means no remuneration, which is not true, or that a nonprofit means that no one is being paid, which is also not true. So there's a fundamental disconnect between how the world works and how our community works that's setting a really terrible example for people to come into the community about how to value their own time and their own, um, and their own work and is just highly problematic. And this is just another example of that same conversation. Go labor power! There's so much more to say about this, but thanks for that contribution, Morton. Thank you uh, for uh, giving me a platform uh, to spew my socialist. No, no, there we go. On, to the, next, on to the next story. Um, Apple power over Facebook. Well, worry to the rest of us. All to bring worry to the rest of us. What did you think of this one, um, Spencer? Well, you guys know how much I love Facebook, of course. And uh, <laughs> well, wait, said asking. nobody ever. Yeah, said nobody ever. In fact, when I talk to clients these days, I always ask them about, like, do you ever think of doing your, instead of BuddyPress, BBPress, did you want to consider a private group on Facebook? And the, <laughs> the answer is always, uh, no. There is no nothing <laughs> private on Facebook, is there? So here's, I'm going to just put this in the context of things that I've discussed in the previous questions, because I think that's the takeaway from all this. There is an ecosystem of everything and the needle swings left and it always swings right. Or if you prefer your parabolic curves, it goes up and it goes down. And here we are living in the middle of the swing. The swing is which of the gigantic animals in the forest is going to eat all the smaller animals and, or demonstrate that it can to see where the pecking order is. And what I say is anybody who's got a platform like Facebook, is really not the platform. The platform is where do people consume it? So this demonstrates to me that Facebook had to have a real long look in the mirror and say, well, we can control the browsers sort of, but even then, you know, Chrome, maybe Firefox, or they're going to, you know, have a chance to knock us off. But on the iPhones, we don't have any control at all. I mean, we're basically, now what they did on this is arguably stupid anyway, but like, you know, trying to basically track 13-year-olds without their consent by telling people to install the application of a developer license. It's like, it's like a perfect handed out sweet $20, dollars you know, to, I want your information. Yeah. But you know, that's stupidity that comes from the reality of like, we can break the rules because we can't wait around to get normal approval for an application or whatever we're doing. Even this even if it was an innocuous thing, not, you know, nefarious, like tracking. It's still the same I, thing. I don't think Facebook does anything I don't remember. Adam, um, I actually thought the tech crunch um, other story, which was very detailed, um, I got this original story from The Verge, but um, what did you think of it? Because was there, there was literally something pervy about this whole thing, wasn't it? So on the Facebook, you know, and we were talking before we hit record this about privacy. And you know, I just had a conversation with some gentlemen last night, a men's group I met last night. You know, and I said, and I've said this before in many places, privacy is the concept itself, in my opinion, is minimal best between your ears. You think something, that's fine. You say something out loud, Depends on where you are in the world, it could be heard and taken out of context. All that said, um, I'm also a firm believer that 
platforms are going to change. You know, Apple's power over Facebook, I'm okay with. I think it's, you know, Apple owns that platform. It's theirs. Do what you want with it. You don't abide by the rules, you know, then they can do what you want. You know, when Facebook signed up to be a developer for the iOS platform, they had to click the same box that we have to click for some things. You know, the terms and conditions. If you break the rules, you get penalized. You get kicked off. Um, I'm also a big fan, I believe, in my heart of hearts, but not really. Compaq and HP, they're coming back. So Apple's out. Facebook's gone. MySpace is coming back too. I just oh, want right. okay, I'm just kidding. I'm going to wake up, Chris. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what did you think, Chris? I think this article really illustrated the, uh, the power of dependencies. Mm-hmm. So you have to be careful with what your business is dependent on, even at this large mega monopoly scale. Um, Facebook's, you know, got its lights turned out. And it makes me actually think the other way around Facebook. I have a 5,000 person Facebook group of course creators and I'm just waiting for Facebook to screw it up. I really hope they don't try to monetize it or, you know, put, do something to it or make me have to pay to communicate inside of it because it's a beautiful thing. But I know I'm taking a risk because I have a dependency there on Facebook. And yeah, so I find that note just extremely interesting. And I think this also just points out there needs to be a larger conversation around privacy. Uh, I do believe it's important for companies to make data-informed decisions. So I, I, I understand why they, they do that, and they happen to be really good at getting all kinds of data. But at the same time, if, if the product is the people, there's privacy concerns that need to be addressed head-on, you know, from a big picture, take a step back, which otherwise you end up in these messes which we're in. So it's just immature privacy policy and just thinking around that. The other question, the other quick, quick thing here is 13-year-old, there's tracking 13-year-olds. That's like the, the de facto age we're using. How many 13-year-olds these days are on Facebook versus somewhere else? My 13-year-old, well, yeah, he's 13. Not, he's not there. They're on Snapchat. They're on TikTok. They're on everything else except Facebook at this point. So I'm, I'm wondering how valuable was that Data capture was that survey what was watching that I mean how I mean, what I'm sure it was valuable to some extent, yes, but at what level at this point now versus let's say five years ago so you know your 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 uh, opinion is very north america centric oh worldwide okay, okay fair enough much larger footprint. see that's why I like you because you're smart just, oh no, no that's not yeah. like it's yeah. It's not easy to to see unless you go digging into their numbers. Okay. But worldwide, like there are many places where Facebook is the de facto. Okay. Um, and keep in mind this is like yeah, as low as thirteen. Yeah. The right. larger problem is the the whole concept, right? Right. Um, okay. But I, I find this. It's interesting that this story broke at the same time as the whole apples. FaceTime disaster thing. <laughs> That's awesome. And how people are freaking out about the Facebook thing. And like, oh my God, right. dude. And then not like anyone can snoop on anyone else's iPhone. Seems like a larger problem. Uh, just like, and the fact that Apple didn't immediately just disable the feature. Snowden knew from the beginning, did uh, so, so, you know, there, there are many weird things here. And... Uh, I agree with the sentiment that this shows Apple has a ton of power because they can mm-hmm. just shut down uh, a thing. And I mean, this this harks, like, if you want to see it from the nefarious end, you can be like, this is the same thing that when Apple all of a sudden pulled all copies of 1984 from everyone who had bought them, right? 
uh, or when Apple suddenly refused to, um, uh, like when when they tried to enforce the whole copyright thing on um, music in Europe and mm-hmm. then banned anyone from moving music off their Apple device onto another music player and then just canceled their accounts and stuff. They're not kind. This, this notion that Apple is the greatest thing in the world is nonsense. But uh, in this circumstance, I actually don't agree. I think that uh, this is an example of a, a company actually exerting its uh, power of uh, or its responsibility in the right way, saying that we found something in the system that we think is problematic because it's not being transparent and clear and everything. And we've contacted them and told them that they need to do something about it, and they didn't. So we're just going to pull it until they figure this shit out. Um, and it 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 might be the beginning of um, of larger corporations taking responsibility for how their platforms are being used. It's a def- definitive departure from how it used to be, which is someone posts content on our site. We don't have any control over what people do, right? This is the exact opposite. This is saying we are responsible for what people use this for. So we can and should exert that power. And it's a, it might be an example of how to do it. it I'm not sure this is the best example, but it is an ex- a company doing the thing that we want companies to do. The next question is, how do we make sure that that's uh, done in an ethical way, that it's not a competitive thing? Although Apple doesn't have a competing software with Facebook, so I don't see what that would be. Um, and that it's done um, consistently and transparently and that it can be challenged, right? That's a great point. John, um, the reason why I put this, because um, we've discussed Facebook and their actions quite extensively on this show over the months, but the reason why I put this story in is, in some ways, um, I admire their business focus. They They seem to have a total dedication that they will get around... They will literally do anything to get what is their sustenance, which is data. Data leads to them knowing their people that use their system so then they can sell that data um, through advertising. But they they seem to have a total vote. They are literally prepared to do anything, break any rule, get around anything. Am I right about that? Absolutely. Uh, a couple things that um, I think are, are interesting as well. Yesterday, I seen on my Twitter feed somebody who works with technology that did not know that Facebook has owned WhatsApp since 2014. And a lot of people all over the world use that as, as uh, a means of communication. Uh, Facebook also owns Instagram. So this, we're not really talking just about Facebook. Um, because they own a lot of the other social networks as well. Um, to your point, I think that a lot of these technology companies are uh, not coming out of the U.S. right now is through these technologies that are not regulated. Uh, to, to Morton's point, I, I think... Um, in a lot of other places, uh, what Facebook is doing would not be tolerated. But like you said, you know, you've seen the Zuckerberg testimony in front of Congress. Those, those people are all like 70 years old. They have no freaking clue how the internet even works. And, and you're right, Jonathan. They're going to do everything that they can 
to keep making money, you know, while they can. And, and as long as they can keep growing um, in some way, and as long as people don't have, I think this is the biggest thing because this is what happened to Friendster and this is what <laughs> happened to MySpace. There has to be a reasonable alternative where all your friends are for you to leave that platform. And once right. that happens, they're gone. Right. Um, we're going to go for a break, break, folks. But before we do that, I want to talk about one of my great sponsors, and that's WP Fusion. And what is WP Fusion? Well, in your technology stack, you should have WordPress, but you should have a CRM like Active Campaign Drip. There's a load of them. And the good news is WP Fusion supports over 40 of these type of systems. And what's it going to do for you? Well, basically, if you've got a membership site or you've got a WooCommerce site, it enables you to track people, send emails. It basically puts the communication between your WordPress website and your CRM on steroids. I can't go through all the amazing stuff you can do. What you need to do as a developer or or somebody entrepreneur, you need to go to the WP Fusion site and find out more about this. And the great news is uh, that the founder has offered WP um, Tonics listeners and viewers a great offer which you only get here. If you go to their site and buy one of their packages and you use the coupon code WP Tonic or uppercase, you get 25% off any of the packages. And like I say, that is only exclusively available to you, listeners and viewers. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30 day money back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. We're coming back. We had a great discussion. On to the next story. And I think it's a great story. And it's been something I've been thinking about for months. But I didn't want to express it because I'm not a very active developer anymore. Only on my own sites. Um but it's something that I thought was going on. And then we had this great um, article on CSS tricks, and I think it expresses something that's also one of the reasons why Gutenberg was a bit of an upsetting experience. I think um, this article, The Great Divide, are some of the reasons why the Gutenberg thing was a bit of a challenge. What did you think of it in general, John? Yeah, no, I've been thinking this for a couple of years, that front-end developer, um, when you say that now, it, it to some people that's going to mean uh, HTML, CSS, and jQuery, and to other people that's going to mean Angular and React and, and Backbone. Uh, many, many years ago, like the first year I started freelancing, did a lot of work for Outfit in New York, and uh, they had another side project that they were doing in uh, I talked to the CTO, uh, and that that was what they were asking. They're basically asking uh, me like all the different like, do you know any of these? I'm like, no. Uh, but 
I, I do think that there need to be two different terms um, because I think, as this article points out, especially in larger um, projects, there's there's all kinds of dependencies. Uh, I, I think one person mentioned yesterday I had to install a package manager to install a package manager. And that's when I <laughs> closed my laptop and backed away. You, you know, I... It was a great quote, isn't it? Yeah. It's a great quote. I mean, honestly, I think like JavaScript development is is basically at this point it's it's programming, but in the front end. And so I, I think there really need to be like different titles for people who are more um, you know, do things in the browser. Like people who just know uh HTML uh you know, like WordPress developer. It, I think it, actually, I think I'm so interrupt. I'm so interrupt, John. But I think yeah. it's got worse. I actually think yeah. front end this Java has really got really posy and jumped the shark. It's filled with so many acronyms and packages and uh-huh. stuff. You got to. It's mind boggling in a way, isn't uh-huh. it? Yeah, it definitely is. I I think I mean I even think like WordPress developer is is it has a dual meaning. I think even that term like has a meaning of like you uh, work primarily in the back end or you're more uh, like the the theme development and do more primarily front end styling. I think even that has a dual meaning at this point. What did you think of it, Spencer? Because you've had a lot of experience in training in it. Uh, to me, the conversation is an interesting one in sort of a two people at a bar way but in a practical sense it means nothing because the entire world is really shifting to skill-based economy so whether it's in programming or wordpress ecosystem or something else nobody any longer should rely upon having a title that previously defined a skill set of stuff because that world has been shattered you may have a degree. I have but a But Spencer, degrees. Spencer, we like our titles. I know. You can make up a new title, and your new title has to be something that you invent because here's why. <laughs> when you go out, whether you're working for a company or you're doing freelancing, the people that are going to pay you are going to say, I want some solution. This could be a longer goal, like in a career path, or it could be just for a client's project. When you look at that solution, they will tell you if they've already figured out what skills you need to have because there's a pre-existing condition, such as some jackass already used AngularJS here and you need to know Node and blah, blah, all these other things. Or we just want to have a new website about something. Can you build it? That is where your list of skills becomes relevant, just like in dating. If you are looking for somebody that has kids, wants to travel, doesn't smoke, blah, 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 match your list up and maybe it'll work. But if you're trying to do that by saying, I'm a person who dates or I'm looking for a job as a front-end developer, you're going to have real problems today because the people with pre-existing conditions need those skill sets. They don't need a developer. They need somebody who knows those skills. The people who want the solution who don't have the pre-existing condition want you to tell them what things should they build this with. And that's where you get to say, well, I use HTML, CSS, PHP, JavaScript, blah, blah, blah. And that's the way to do it because... And that's the solution, in my opinion, is that we need to just stop putting labels on stuff like front-end developer because it's meaningless in this world, just like, you know, a career path in a corporation is a meaningless thing. There's no gold watch at the end of it, you know, just as good as the last thing you know how to do. 
the I know, right? That's over? Uh, I know, so you missed your window. Dang it. So what did you think of the article, Adam? Yeah, you know, I've always <laughs> been confused. Yeah. And I've been in this for a long time. I mean, confused, period. You're going to be even more confused after period. this. After That's this, just uh, life. That's just my life. No, I've always, I've always found the, def, the, the, the segmentation of front end and back end um, murky at best. Because, you know, I get, hit up, I get hit up all the time. Like, I got hit up yesterday for, through LinkedIn through, for a job, for a startup, looking for a WordPress developer. But also, but the description, I looked at it, I'm like, I don't consider myself a WordPress developer. But some people do. Do I develop websites? Yes. Do I use WordPress? Yes. It's the same thing. So I went to college um, for theater. You know, I have, a, I, have a, I have a degree in theater performance. Um, I wanted to be a classically trained Shakespearean actor. Am I? No. Not at all. No, actually, I, I mean, I can do it. But um, there's differences. So I'm trying to connect the, the two. Holes, the holes, the kingdom, bros. Right. So what I wanted, you know, so I, am I an actor? There's, here's, here's the best way to explain it. I can get on stage and act, and there's a process to it. I know how to do it on stage. Um, I can learn to play a few chords of a guitar. doesn't make me a musician. So I'm an actor, yes. Musician, not at, not at all. Development, I kind of consider that same thing. I can build websites. I know enough code now. I've learned a lot over the last seven, eight, nine years. So yes, I feel more confident in this way. I'm not just a, um, I, don't, I hate to say just, I'm not a um, implementer like as I as first started, but I don't have a formal education in coding, in development, in front end or back end. So I've always found those terms murky for me. And I think, you know, Spencer's right. I think the terminology has to change and the mindset has to change from people looking and people hiring equal equally. So it has to be the right fit. If it's a fit that you can do the job with the skills that you have, great. If you don't have that title, then you know you're 80 and you're out of work. So, so Moulton, what did you think of this? Do you think there were there were good parts in your mooted eyes? Oh, I'm man. What did you think of the article in general? Because I think he touched upon something really important. Um, first of all. You should go watch the talk Chris Coyer did at WordCamp US where he kind of talks about the same thing and gives a bunch of examples. Um, you also need to see this, the conversation he's having in that talk and in the article you're referencing in the context of the much larger conversation that's happening in the web community around uh, the role of JavaScript and how the web is turning into a JavaScript-heavy programming space rather than a classic HTML and CSS space, uh, which ties to the endless conversation over whether or not it's okay to put CSS in JavaScript. <laughs> uh, there is a very, very complex and extremely um, balkanized conversation happening in the wider community around what the web is and what the nature of web development is um, and what Chris is doing, what Rachel Andrew did last uh, yesterday, I think, by posting an article around the same thing, what Sindra Sorus did uh, last weekend, uh, what DHH did. Like, There's a huge number of these conversations that are happening at the same time. And they're all about the same thing, which is basically the way the web is currently being developed and the way a lot of the conversations around the web are happening and what's happening in WordPress too is we're moving away from writing HTML and CSS and using JavaScript to augment that into writing JavaScript that then generates HTML and CSS. And what that JavaScript generates is machine-readable code that is not accessible to humans. <laughs> uh, so the, 
under like what we could do, like we people who are old and have been around for a long time could do, which was to go into any website, scrub out the code, figure out what was going on. It's no longer possible because the stuff that's being generated isn't readable by humans and is often not following modern practices. And there is the tension between then, do we want um, code that's written optimized for machines or do we want code that's written and optimized for humans? And for performance reasons, you want the machine version, but for maintainability, you want the human reason uh, version, which is why you have build processes. So that means to get into web development now, you need to have a much deeper understanding of things like build processes and how to set up tools like um, Webpack and how to just, you know, I'm working on a course now about how to build Gutenberg blocks. And what I'm, what I'm stuck at is trying to make the process easy and frictionless as possible because it is unnecessarily complex due to how React uh, uses uh, JavaScript modules and, and how the, and JavaScript modules the, are and, not supported by browsers. So you have to run, you have to run um, Webpack just to get them bundled in. And then you have Babel on top of that. And then you have to like, process CSS through the Webpack system. But Webpack is not really suited to do that. So then you need an extension for that. And that extension needs an extension for that. And that extension needs an extension for that. And then if you do any error inside your entire setup, then you just get some computer barf error message that doesn't really tell you what's going on. And unless you have a developer level understanding of what's going on, you're basically doomed. You can't do this, right? And the reality is there is no way of doing this without having a much deeper understanding of build tools and programming outside of what you're actually trying to do than what you had before. So the pushback that's happening is people are saying, this has gone too far. Like programmers who came from a computer science background, have come too far into the web space and taken over and said that, no, writing HTML and CSS and doing this in a programmatically logical way and a human-readable way is not good. We should do it in a developer way instead. And then you have the people who came to the web from content and design on one end and the people who came to the web from programming on the other end. And through JavaScript, the programmers have won right now which means that all the design-minded people are trying to push back and saying, we're now getting away from the purpose of the web. Um, and to me, this boils down to a, a, one of many questions, which is, what is the web for? Is it an information distribution platform or is it a programming platform? And right, like the, the JavaScript push says that the web is an application programming platform more than an information platform. And we have to make that decision. Either is it one or the other, or should we like split it, or should we be okay with that both exist and then define separate roles for those two sides? I thought that was fantastic. Chris, you know, you've got a growing company, you're hiring people, but are you aware when you're in your hiring process that there is this seemingly divide in skills required? And is it something actively in your mind when you're, when you're interviewing people to hire them? It is. Um, but I leave a lot of the, you know, making sure they have the right stack up to my business partner, who's a technical hardcore developer. Um, but that being said, I hired a new support person yesterday. And I didn't look at the criteria of, you know, what's, what's in their toolkit. And basically the way we approach it is we got, go through hiring as fast as possible. And then do a two-week sample project to see what they can actually do. So we're hiring what capabilities, not titles. And 
part of the vetting process and hiring, I mean, we do need to know about the stack and if it's the skills we need that work with our legacy decisions we've made and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, for me as a, as a non-developer, as a non-computer science guy, I've always been confused by front-end, back-end, all the different languages and nodes and packages and all this stuff, whatever. It's cool, but um, I think the development community, especially when they're looking for work, they need to help business owners even know how to hire. If, if they don't have a CTO or um, a technical partner or mine themselves, it can be very frustrating and confusing when they go out onto places like Upwork or post a job ad and there's like a disconnect there. So, I think that's great. On to the next and probably last story. Um, it was an interesting story in its own right. A bit linked to what Morton said about Apple um, taking responsibility because uh, in the midst of it, Digital Ocean just said it's got nothing to do with us. And this is a story that other life as a Kickstarter scammer. Love this story. It was on Engadget. So, Adam, what did you think of this story? Loved it. Loved it. I just, I'm always baffled and fascinated by people who take the, the amount of energy spent to scam versus doing actually positive change for the world. I mean, in general, just thieves. And I just felt like, wow. They use so, they're so creative, but they could have used their energies. Uh, oh my gosh. Just, just can't do ama it. Amazing. Amazing that this, uh, I mean, it, it, this article did not surprise me at all. What surprised, you know, period. I mean, in any capacity, the fact that they actually use the Engadget, con you know, the, that connection, the name, all that stuff. Um, I mean, I do know that I think, you know, I recently got hit up by somebody who looks just like Chris Badgett trying to get me to do some SEO work. No, I'm kidding. It's a twin brother. Um, so, but just the photos and stuff, I just found that fat. The article is, it doesn't surprise me in one aspect, but the same token, like, dude, just, you spent all this time and energy to set up, to, to do this kind of thing. Why not just work like a normal person? I don't know. I mean, it, it, it takes as much energy to scam somebody out of money as it is to make money, I think, in the real world, in my opinion. Unless you would just find a Brinks truck with an open back door. Yeah, that's just how I see it. I, don't, I just come to the conclusion that just can't, there's a certain group of people that just can't do anything unless it's scammy. Right. It's, the quick, it's making the quick buck. It's the quick buck. It's a part of American society that's the most ugliest in some way. This devotion to this idea that there's some way of making a ton of money really easily. What do you reckon, Spencer? You know, I, I don't like it for what they do, but I definitely love it when I discover how people can find loopholes and stuff. You know, like the, uh, the guy that got lifetime access to uh, airlines by discovering he could take the UPC labels off a of pudding. The, the pudding. Well, that's fine. Yeah, that's not a scam. You know, that was just smart. Yeah, he was a smart engineer. But, but I'm saying it's the same mindset. So what I think people have is there are people in this world who have a mindset that like, okay, there's a line. I'm an attorney too, but like there's a line that's legal or not. Sometimes it's great. This is clearly not legal. However, I think it's the same mindset of they see an open door. There's some stuff inside. How can I get in there and do this? And it's fascinating only because I think people are naive uh, about their identities online. You know, uh, in my particular case, a lot of the clients or people I know are professional attorneys, doctors, whatever. And many of them do not even have their own domain name for their first and last name. And the first thing I always ask them is like, so you're, you know, John Smith, you don't have johnsmith.com. They're like, why would I ever need that? I'm like, hello, okay, this quick, is quick, why. Quick, Some quick guy. How many of us, how many of us six have, who, do you own your own, do you own spencerforman.com? 
I have not only myself and all my kids, but I have all my friends and enemies, and I have most of you. <laughs> well, after the show, go Jennifer David. This is your because I've got well, that. Well, two things here, real quick. So I just shared a little snippet, a cloud up, a, a little screenshot of Spencer. Spencer looks like fake Jamie. <laughs> a little bit. I'm like, huh? I think maybe we. Wait, I think we. I think we're calling Spencer out. Maybe I don't know. For one, but, two. I also own AdamSilver.com. I've had her 20 years. I own my kids' names. When my kids turn nine, I bought their domains and their emails. That way, you know, we had it for the, they, they can get it for the, I'll pay for the nine to 18, I'll pay for it. Um, but yeah, I think it's important these days to own, ideally, at least the .com, right? But Adam, I think it also puts a light, there's a whole dark side to podcasting, YouTube subscribers, you know, um, Instagram influence peddlers. There's a whole kind of scammy dark industry behind the internet is there Adam, uh, well of course i mean i mean yes short answer yes well, you know i i don't want to word this before the internet was the internet before it was even arpanet you know how many of us on this panel i was doing bulletin board system type things i was doing other things that were darkish if you will as far as software um, goes. I won't, won't use any keywords here to incriminate myself, but also I was under 18. I knew better. Turned 18. It's I all coming out. Adam, you come on this show and it's all coming out. But I turned 18 and I went legitimate completely. Uh, 95%. No, no. 99.9% completely. Anyway. anyway you saw like, the you know, road to Demetrius. <laughs> right. Right. But you know, there's just, is there a dark side of things? Of course. There's always going to be the dark side of the tech, of whatever it may be. People always want to get ahead without effort. So, so Chris, yeah. do you get a lot of these so these so called um, influence peddlers kind of um, contacting you, Chris, to boost whatever you up to? Um, I had I did talk to one. I actually ran a Kickstarter a while back, and there was something that somebody was doing that was pretty shady. That I, I don't think it was the same person, but that it was very shady what was going on. Um, but I don't. I just want to make a. I, I do see people like pretend to be Lifter LMS, my product, and even sell it for money on the internet. Um, so I see that out there. I've, ha- I've never had somebody impersonate m- my person that I'm aware of, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it happened. And I just want to note that the human being is an apex predator. Sometimes we don't see ourselves in that light, but a predator it is an opportunist. And there's a part of our human nature in the yin and yang on the dark side, where I don't see this going away anytime soon. I mean, I think as humans, we're evolving and we're having moral and ethical and legal conversations, but this is a part of who we are, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, what was interesting, Morton, when he approached this scammer's web, found where this scammer's website was hosted and he approached DigitalOcean, it was the kind of opposite responses you were talking about Apple because they just told him uh, he didn't get much of a response. And secondly, when he did, they said, well, it's got nothing to do with us. Uh, what did you think of that, Morton? My 0% surprise, you mean? I mean, di- it's different. Like, DigitalOcean is a hosting company, right? Well, they, they, Facebook is a, a distribution company. So like there is an actual argument you can make from a hosting perspective to say that we have no responsibility for what people put, like what files people put on our hosting. However, if the police came to them and said, take this shit down because it's illegal, or if they saw that this is blatantly illegal, then 
they have a responsibility to do it. Otherwise, people can come after them, right? So that's a legal question for Spencer, uh, for Spencer, because I'm not a lawyer. Um, <laughs> but I think that if you look at the wider perspective of this, like this whole thing about scamming and everything, had, have any of you ever funded a Kickstarter or a GoFundMe campaign that tanked? Of course, most of them do. But you yeah. don't get. Yeah, I mean. It's, it's a, it, this whole concept of Kickstarter and GoFundMe and everything else is a really bizarre thing if you think about it. Because in the beginning, it was like a lot of people who couldn't get funding for things like a new computer game were able to do it, right? right. But then when people realized there's money to be made here, they started putting up things that are just insane or they totally didn't understand what they were doing. So I, I put funded something that I thought was really cool. And I was like, I put money into it. I'm like, there's no way this is happening because they're going to get like 5 million orders and they're going to have to like build a factory to get this to work. And of course they did. Like they maxed out so much that they were like, you know, we're all bankrupt now. This all fell apart. My life was ruined. My colleague committed suicide. Like it was literally that bad because they're not thinking about it, which is the same thing that happened with, um, what was that thing called? The thing where you would, uh, uh, was it the cooler? You could buy something through a site and then a bunch of people, Groupon. Oh, yeah. So Groupon was the same thing. Like it got trendy, people jumped on it, then realized that if you sell cheap meats, you end up running out of business, right? Um, and uh, there, there's this, people have this bad, fundamentally bad understanding of economy and money and everything. And they're also very willing to be tricked into things. Um, and this is just part of that whole thing. Now, if you're looking for interesting scamming stories, you should go on Netflix or Hulu or whatever and watch that fire documentary. I, I just did last week. That is the most insane thing ever. But you get like, if you ignore the whole fire story and just look at the guy, mm-hmm. you realize that like there are some people that are just wired to try to scam people all the time and will not, they and can't help they, themselves. They're like, let's hire a TV company to come and film me doing criminal, like doing criminal things while I'm under house arrest. I mean, it's one thing. It's one thing to like try. He really had intention of having something happen, but you look at him the whole time, and you're just thinking, he knows this is not going to go. He yeah, knows no, he's, just, he's living large. He's living on people's money, borrowing, stealing. I love, from I love the American side. Living large. Living large. It's, it's like the, there's, large. there are people, and I know, I know some people who are scam type people. Like you, every time they come to me, they're like, wow, how a great idea. And I'm like, are you going to ruin people's lives now? <laughs> right? is, this a, is this a great idea or is this going to destroy things? Because right. if it is the latter, you should really not do it, even though you think it's a great idea. People are just drawn to this kind of nonsense. Oh, what did you think, John? Oh, yeah, yeah. The catfish scheme. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, like, like everybody's saying, man, some people are like hardwired to, to scam people. Uh, to what Morton was saying, I think DigitalOcean uh, did have a, a responsibility to do that. I think that's a cop-out that a lot of these... Sides were they? It was a total Yeah, and Jack Dorsey, same thing. Jack Dorsey from Twitter. Oh, we're not responsible for stuff. The hell you aren't. You're responsible for what you put in the world. You're responsible for what you allow in the world and on your platform. If you have uh, terms of service, if people are like scamming money and there is evidence of it, then you should take that stuff down. Plain and simple. Right, thanks. Before we go to the final section of this show, I just got a quick question for Morton. Um, I interviewed Ryan Carson um, last week 
um, of Treehouse, and he's publicly been saying that in the next 10 years, he thinks that most universities, mid-level, apart from the top universities, are in the US and are going to disappear, are going to have a very difficult um, process of surviving. Um, But no, I I think in, um, I know it sounds ridiculous in a way, but I think the way they're running their business models is going to be very damaging to them. I don't go, I agree with your response. I don't think, um, and I'm paraphrasing what Ryan said. Yeah, I know the argument. I think, first of all, let's be clear here. The United States uses the term university and college in a different way than the rest of the world. So like when you say university in my brain, because I'm European, it's something else than when people think of university here. Now, in the American model, if I understand this correctly, uh, university is more like an academic institution that actually does like postdoc stuff and research and everything. If that's the case, so like if we make the definition right now that university is the classic definition of a university, meaning a research institution that also does education, no, it will not go away at all because that's where all the research happens. Right, all the publicly funded research in the world happens in an under university umbrella. Killing the universities means stopping evolution in terms of thinking. So no, that's never happening. Um, the American model of uh, holding students upside down and shaking them to get as much money as possible out of them is not going to survive. Um, but that's oh, a whole I just think, other I just think it's morally so old. I think what he's getting at is that a lot of the um, a lot of the introductory, introductory level stuff that's happening at colleges and universities and polytechnics and all that stuff is done in uh, like the teaching methodologies and the pedagogy that's in these schools needs to be updated. And that's not something that isn't happening. That's the, that's the part that I'm laughing at because all these people, like you know, people who work in my industry, people who work in generally like online learning and everything, they tend to think that universities are stagnant <laughs> and are not evolving because they're not working at universities. If you go work at a university, you see that this is rapidly evolving. There's a ton of research being done. The people that are working in online training are benefiting from the research coming out of universities, right? So they're going to evolve really quickly to avoid losing their place, right? And also because we actually need to evolve them to be able to move society forward as a whole. So universities aren't going to go away. I think a lot of the for-profit garbage schools that should go away right now are going to just go away. But then a lot of new crap like Trump U is going to pop up anyway, right? So if if the argument is universities aren't keeping up with technology, that's not true. Some of them aren't because they don't have any money, but overall they are. If the argument is that there are parts of the higher ed sector that needs to die, the answer is yes, of course. If the argument is online training is going to take over a lot of that stuff, the answer is yes, but universities aren't going anywhere. Yeah, I see where you come from, but I I do agree with Ryan in a way that I agree with a more um, diverse, with including mentorship and apprenticeship is for, uh, especially in the technology or a lot of people, with some college support is a much better foundation for the majority of people looking for more skills and higher education than a university or embracing university kind of degree that really doesn't uh, 
bankrupts them, causes them damage and really doesn't give them what they really require. That's the American model. There's a big difference between university here and like a state college and a community college. It's like three different things. And this this whole idea that you should be bankrupted by going to higher education is insane. It's crazy. Well, your degree doesn't get you a job anymore. That's the problem. Well, that's... (laughs) It depends on what kind of degree you get. I mean, if you go into university and study data science, you'll get an extremely high paying job, right? So it just depends on what you're going after. Yeah. The the problem is if you go into university and take a history major and you don't know what you're going to do with it, then you're not going to get a job, right? If but you if get you, MBA, you're going to use the history major to work at a, a media publication or take a job at a TV studio or like there, you need to figure out what you want to do. The, this old model, as in like the 1960s model of going to university and by default getting a job doesn't exist anymore. But that didn't exist in the 80s either. I mean, just, FYI, just so you know, I'm, I'm a father of three teens. My oldest is 18. She's going to college in the fall. And they still have, many of them still don't know this. I'm a firm believer, as you are, Morton, that the college, that, that old paradigm, college, degree, job, marriage, kids, all that, that whole thing. I'm aware of it, that it's blown, it's been blown out of the water. But the kids these days, 17, 18 year olds, don't quite, and most of them still don't, because they, they still see what, what I saw. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was so hoping my daughter was going to take a gap year. I really wanted her to take a gap year. Go travel, figure some stuff out. She wants to go right to college. Yeah, it sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, my recommendation to all kids watching this is when you're done with high school, go out of the school system for at least one or two years and do something else. Gap right. year, go work somewhere, go travel, do something. the Scandinavian model and go to a people's high school. Uh, like do something other than going to school because you need to throw away your high school mentality before you go into university. And you also need to get a more mature understanding of how the world really works. So going and who out they are. Because you don't know who you are at 18, 17, 18 yeah. years old. I mean, I don't know hindsight, who you are. I don't know who you are. I should have, my sister was the one who suggested I don't go right away after high school. I did. I went to junior college, whole separate story. But yeah, looking back, I mean, yeah, whatever. It's just, yeah, yeah it's, I wish I I wish I'd taken years off before too. I went to university. Right. Well, anyway. I just thought I'd take the opportunity to ask you that. Um, let's just quickly do our... Tr- um, tips, tricks, pod, um, plugins, themes, whatever you come across during the week. I want to start off, I was in two minds to recommend this, really. It's from Delicious Brains. They're a great plug-in company. And they just brought out a new plugin that works with Amazon email services. Um, I'm a, it's a bit like when people host their websites with Amazon. I always point out, when... when who, who are you going to talk to when something really doesn't work? Uh, um, that is the problem. So I was in two minds. But go to uh, Delicious Brains, and if it's something that's interest to you, I, I think it's going to be, it might be useful. Um, I'll make sure it's in the show notes. Um, John, have you got anything you want to push, uh, recommend, whatever? Yeah. Um, actually, I'm going to recommend uh, Chris's uh, YouTube channel, Chris Badgett here. Uh, there's a lot of, of good stuff that he's sharing there, a lot of uh, thoughts on business and entrepreneurship. And I think people should go subscribe and check it out. Yeah, I agree. You've been doing some great stuff, Chris, uh, uh, even on the hammock. Um, so, Chris, you got anything you want to recommend? Anything you come across? 
Yeah, this might cut, be a little indifferent, but I actually want to recommend WordPress 5.0, what's called Gutenberg. I've been playing around yeah. with it a um, bunch lately, building like a course sales page or course home screen. And uh, I'm really blown away by what you can do with Gutenberg. I, I really did just plain Gutenberg out of the box uh, with the new editor, with the, uh, the wide layouts and the columns. I mean, this is version one. It's got, there's room to grow and improve, but. Uh, and then using other plugins and tools and bringing in components into a page, I'm really impressed. And I know there's been a lot of talk around the Gutenberg project, but uh, I've just really enjoyed my own personal deep dive with getting really familiar with the new block editor. That's great. Adam, got anything to come across? Um, well, do I ever? No. Uh, actually, I want to recommend that everyone, anyone watching this, take uh, time and step away from the tech and the screens consistently, at least once a week. Yeah, turn stuff off. Read a book, A, physical paper book, or B, go out for a walk and uh, without a podcast in your ears, without music, and just let yourself have a little bit of um, you time. I think it's important for mental health. Yeah, you got a point there. Uh, I just don't do it, but they are bonkers anyway. <laughs> so, Spencer, Spencer, got anything you want to... You come across. Yeah, I, I, oh, you still use well. You haven't left your home anyway. You're getting all your food and that delivered to you anyway, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I definitely agree with like the things that you can do to make your life easier and save time. But I kind of will jump on Chris's suggestion, which is um, being well versed in the various page builders is useful for anybody. Uh, there's a lot of new stuff. I'm not referencing it here, but I just want to mention that there are things like cadence blocks and lots of add-on blocks for Gutenberg, but also even in the page builders, like Elementor recently had an update where they added pop-ups, and there's a lot of cool things to do there. But I'm recommending this, which is for anybody who's on a Mac still, uh, the sound control, which allows you to break out in a way that there used to be an older plugin that did this, or an app. This yeah. allows you to set up your desktop so that when you move from like Skype to listening to some audio, you don't blow your brains out with the difference in the volume because one thing is set. So you get individual volume levels, essentially, that you can program in and set for your Mac environment. And even on Zoom, like I come from Skype to Zoom and it's like, ah, you know. So anybody on Mac worthy of checking this thing out, it works pretty good. It, it's not the perfect solution, but definitely better than... Can you put the link into chat? I, I, I oh, think I did. Right. No, um, I didn't put... Yeah, Morton, got anything you come across this week that of plugging or anything to do with WordPress or anything that might help our listeners and viewers? Yeah, uh, go talk to people who lived in the 70s and 80s. Ask them if they have any posters or buttons or anything else that say no to nuclear weapons and uh, revive it because the, Amer the United States left the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty with Russia today. So we are back in uh, nuclear war <laughs> territory uh, on the uh, developer end step away from WordPress and start reading what's going on in the wider web community uh, uh, read the article that uh, Jonathan was talking about from, um, from um, uh, Chris Coyer go read CSS uh, the, the stuff that they're doing over at uh, CSS Tricks right now um, look at the, the conversation that's happening around JS and CSS because that conversation will end up forming the future of the space we work in. And the WordPress community seems 
oddly divorced from this conversation right now and it needs to be in the conversation because we will be guided what by whatever outcome comes from that and the WordPress community in spe- specifically will not benefit from the word the web becoming more programmatic because we are the entry point and the entry point is not how to set up webpack so yeah nuclear war <laughs> and uh, uh, get on get off the wordpress island you can tell he came, but he's a European at heart, can't you? Aaron Walton, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Morton, because that's my name. And you can find me on LinkedIn at Morton, because that's my name. <laughs> and you can find me on LinkedIn Learning by searching for Morton, and then you'll find that's me. That's his name. Uh, uh, other than that, did you know that both Santana and Weezer released albums this week? I yeah, didn't know that. Yeah, I only listen to Elgar, mate. Uh, um, John, John, look, John, my great friend, um, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? You can go to my awesome website, lockdownseo.com. But what I would really like you to do is go on YouTube and search hashtag lockdownseo. Uh, this week, I published uh, three videos per day each day this week. Uh, go check those out. Um, Adam, how can people find out more about you and the great stuff you're doing? So kitchensinkwp.com is the primary home for what I give back to the community. Uh, Twitter, hey, Adam Silver. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Oh, kitchensinkwp.com forward slash iTunes would be the podcast itself, the feed. So It's been great having you on the show. You're going to have to come Thanks. back a bit more regularly, Adam. You've been missed. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, yeah. um, Spencer, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Thanks, yeah, at WPLaunchify.com or on YouTube uh, using the ending of WPLaunchify. That's great. And Chris, the hammock. Uh, Robert, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? You can find me at LifterLMS.com. And I've also just in 2019 just decided to share a little bit more about my personal life and just stuff not necessarily course creator related uh, online. So I'm, I'm building out my personal YouTube channel. So find me on YouTube. And we're, and thanks listeners and viewers. I think it's been a great show. We've covered some interesting subject and hopefully next week it will be the same high quality apart from your host. That is, um, I'll see you soon folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.